Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We are in this series called Body and Blood, and we find ourselves here on this All-In Sunday. How many of you guys, I'm just curious, first time doing an All-In Sunday with us at Good Shepherd? I'm just, okay, all right, like seven of you, welcome. I'm so, I'm so glad you're here. This is amazing. Um, this is kind of a fun time where we intentionally hit pause on all of our kids' ministry, and we close everything else around us, and we all just get in one room to celebrate some fun family things that are going on. So we welcome new members. Uh, we'll continue the series that we're doing, and we will, uh, and, and, and just so you know, during the, during the message, there is going to be a little more wiggling in the room. So that's, that's all right with us, right? Neighbors of people next to wiggling children. That's okay, isn't it? It's okay. Um, I just... I, I want to always say to the kids in the room, kids in the room, um, the Bible is pretty clear that you guys have something in you that us older people need to see every now and then. Jesus says that we should have a childlike faith and uh, we're not going to get that if we're just hanging around older, crustier adults all the time. And so we need, we need to see your guys' vibrancy, your zeal. Like you just, you guys do things in an unfiltered and just awesome sort of way. And so uh, I'm grateful that you were all in here today pressing in with us. Um, we also are going to do some baptisms today. We're going to sing one more song at the very end of service. Uh, we had six baptisms first service, which was amazing. Uh, I know that we have at least another one coming this, uh, this next service, this service as well. So um, just a fun day a fun day overall. We are in the series called Body and Blood where we are uh, looking at the subject of communion. Uh, but really the question that we're asking ourselves in this series is what would it look like to live a life with Christ? Um, so the Bible talks about this, uh, the big word would be um, this idea of union with Christ, that we can walk in union, this togetherness with Jesus. I just, I think there are so many Christians in the, in the world and in the country that we are living in today who settle for a relationship with Jesus where we learn a lot about him. We maybe sing songs to him or we gather around people that also look like him. But man, the, the invitation from scripture is to walk with him, to know him deeply, to have this relationship with God where you are hearing his voice and you're seeing the things that he sees and you're doing the things that he would do and you're participating with him in the world that we're living in right now. It's not meant to be this kind of spectator sport where you watch other people have that relationship with Jesus, but it's an invitation that has been made to each and every one of us in this room that you can live a life where you walk daily with Jesus. You walk with him and you know him and you talk with him and you, and you participate in the things that he's participating in. That's the invitation of what it looks like to be a Christian. But what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've been looking specifically at prayer. At prayer. Because I don't think there's any other thing that we can do that would better draw us into withness or union with Christ than prayer. Like you're not walking with him if you're not praying. I think I can say it that boldly. Like you just, you're not experiencing the fullness of what Jesus has for you if you're not living in this, this rich or this thriving prayer life. And so we have somewhere that we can press into. And that's a lot of what this 21 day fast has been about is all of us just collectively going, I'm gonna give up social media. I'm gonna give up sweets. I'm gonna give up this. I'm gonna give up lunches so that, not so that I can be impressive to the world around me, not so that I can lose a couple pounds, not so that I can have more time to myself at the end of the day, but it's so that I can know him better. 
so that I can walk with him more deeply, so that I can experience him more intimately. And so like, yes, I will be the first one to say, um, I am thrilled to eat some food later tonight. Um, my small group, we, we just, we all got together this last week and we're like, hey, um, everyone just bring something, make sure it's awesome and make sure there's enough to share. And so I might be eating like enchiladas and pizza later. And those two things don't sound like they go together, but I am eager beyond measure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, um, and in that, in that, I'm so excited to eat some real food and just to gnaw on something tonight. And at the same time, um, I'm also hoping that there's a part of what's going on in my heart right now that doesn't go away for the rest of this upcoming year, for the rest of my life. Like I'm hoping that some of the hunger that I have for more of Jesus in me, some of the appetite that has been wet for me to just have more of him doesn't go away. And so I would just encourage all of you as you are, as you are getting together with people maybe tonight, as you're uh, eating something, watching something, going back to something that you've gone without for the last 21 days, don't, don't just let us slip back into routine where we just keep going on without this thing that we've learned in those last 21 days. Do you get that? Like, let's bring something along with us that would mark us now going forward. Um, so prayer, prayer. We've been talking about prayer the last few weeks, this really big ideas, right? And there's as simple as you can pray. Remember? Like you can pray. Do you remember that? Yes. Have you prayed? Yes. I'm so encouraged by that. Like, I just, I hope you know that it's not just like, I, I always sit down with friends at like a lunch or something like that. And I go, listen, uh, you know, I'll pray. I'm the paid professional to pray, I guess. So I'll, I'll go ahead and pray for this meal. Um, but and I say that tongue in cheek, right? What, I'm, what I hope that is happening is that you're realizing that you can actually communicate with God personally. And then I hope after that, what we talked about last week was this idea that together, there's something awesome that happens when the body comes together to pray. We can pray together. We can stand in prayer together on some things. And today what we're going to look at is we're going to actually look at the blueprint that Jesus gave us for prayer. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And I want to pull some things out of it as we go. Um, but first, we're just going to read through the Lord's Prayer and a couple other verses included. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 5. And we're going to go all the way through verse 15. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. Uh, parents, if you have a kid next to you and you want to open your Bible up or show them where to get to in their Bible, I think that would be awesome. Um, otherwise, it's going to be on the screen and you can read along. But starting in verse 5 of chapter 6, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So two things in these first few verses that we see here is that Jesus says, hey, don't pray for attention. You don't pray to gain attention from other people. The goal of your prayer time should not be to say, man, look at how awesomely holy I am compared to all of you peasants in your faith. Like I am the most amazing prayer. And we can feel like that sometimes. We can feel intimidated sometimes. But the goal we see here, the goal of our prayer is not to be seen by others necessarily. Our goal is to be seen by our Father who sees us in secret. God knows, not God knows the cry of your heart. He's going to meet you in your prayer closet in the same way that he's going to meet you praying in front of a bunch of people. God 
honors and loves and blesses those who seek him with their whole heart. You don't pray for other people's attention. You pray for the attention of your father who's in heaven. You don't pray for attention. And the second part of this in verse seven says, and we don't pray without paying attention. So we don't pray for attention from other people, but we also don't want to pray in a way where we're not paying attention to what we're saying. He says, don't heap up these empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Like I, I love routine prayers. We have a lot of routine prayers that happen in our house. Uh, sometimes we're praying the similar things at the dinner table, but that is not the, that is not the breadth of our prayer life. I don't, your prayer should not just be you kind of on rotation or on autopilot, just casting up the same list over and over and over again to God. He knows your needs before you say them. And so what we need to do is we need to purpose when we're praying to have some intentionality with our mind to be thinking about a set of things that are going on, that's going on around us or that we know from scripture. Like we have to engage our actual brain while we're praying. It shouldn't just be this like, man, man, the mouth is moving, but nobody's home up here, right? We should be praying with some sort of intentionality. And in this next verse, verse nine, Jesus says, pray then like this, pray then like this. And so he, I, I want to just draw attention to a couple things really quick. Um, kids in the room, we have seen and we've read about, and you've learned Bible stories in elementary ministry of Jesus doing a lot of really awesome, really crazy things. What can you just... Can you shout out for me if you're with me, kids? Like, what are some of those crazy awesome things that we've seen Jesus do in the New Testament? Uh, walk, on water. walk on water. Thank you, Ruxton. That's crazy, right? What else have we seen? Raise from the dead, bro. You're rolling. What else? He turned water into wine. His first miracle. Amazing. He fed the... Dude, listen, leave some room for other people, bro. I'm just kidding. It's awesome. All right, I mean, Jesus fed the 5,000 with one kid's Lunchable, and he fed all these people, right? And hear me, hear me, hear me. Jesus did all of these really awesome things, and they're really awesome. And the disciples never asked Jesus how to do those things, but they did ask him how to pray. Right? So they, they didn't ask him how to cast out demons. They didn't ask him how to feed the 5,000. They didn't ask him how to do all these things, but they did say, Jesus, teach us how you pray. Teach us how to pray. The conclusion that I think we can draw from scripture is that the disciples saw something in Jesus's prayer life where they saw that the way he prayed to God was, was integrally Can I say that like that? Is that right? It is connected at the deepest level to the ministry that he did. So his, they, didn't, they didn't necessarily see all of his power just coming from him, but they saw the things that he did coming from the way that he prayed. And so they go, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And when they ask Jesus, hey, can you teach us how to pray? He actually answers them directly, right? A lot of times they're like, hey, what's the kingdom of God like? And Jesus is like, well, the kingdom of God. And he tells this parable about a mustard seed. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But what does that mean? What? Right? Jesus answers in parables oftentimes, which are these, these earthly stories with heavenly meetings. And, and, they're, and they're kind of a mystery at times. We kind of have to try and conclude what they mean. But Jesus, when he's asked how he prays, he answers them directly. He says, pray then like this. Now here, like he doesn't give them this, this prayer that I'm sure a lot of us know. We could probably recite it if we wanted to. He doesn't just give us this prayer as sort of this Rubik's cube of language to put, put together in a certain way so that now once we say these things, I am now a uh, throne room of God is opened to the heavenlies right now and I can pray however I want. 
right? He's not teaching them to pray in a specific way. He's not saying pray these words. He's saying pray like this. So there's a pattern or a blueprint that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to pull a few things out of it uh, as we go along. And then we'll do baptisms and sing a song together. Kids, in other words, what I'm saying is I don't have that much longer left. Okay, (laughs) stick with me. You're doing an awesome job. So, um, our, the, first, the first part of the verse is our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The first four words of the Lord's Prayer throw into our mind's eye like two radically different statements. On the first hand, it says, Our Father. Come to, come to God like this. Father. Like God is your loving, kind, gracious dad who loves to be with you. And if you don't see God like that, then you're not going to pray as much as you could. And I think a lot of that, man, we like so many of us, all of us had imperfect dads, dads in the room. Like we are imperfect dads currently. And so I don't know what your picture of your earthly dad is like. And if it is just busted up and broken and he was a terrible, terrible man, I am, I am so sorry, but that is not who God is. God, deli- he loves to be with you. He loves to just sit with you. He's not like just eagerly waiting to get to the next thing as you're trying to tell him about your day. He wants to just sit there and talk with you. Like he's not just waiting for you to apologize about all the things you did wrong. He, he's just longing to speak with you and longing to hang out with you. He is loving. He's kind. He's gracious. He's tender. He cares. He wants to be with you. The picture that I think we could use is, is, God, is God is not sitting there Uh, you know, like I I had once or twice in my life, I'm not proud of where I came home to my dad sitting there or my mom sitting there with their arms folded because I missed curfew. All right. Like, I'll just be honest about it. I'm not that embarrassed anymore at this point about it. So, but how many, you know, you came home late at night and your, your dad's sitting there like this, like that meant problems, right? Like you're in trouble. Like if that's your picture of who God is, is he's just sitting there kind of waiting to tell you all the things that you've done wrong. So that before you can come and talk with him, uh, you have the wrong picture. See, because the story of the prodigal son, where we have this guy who went out and blew everything. He made all the mistakes he could possibly make. And only when he got to the very end of his mistakes that he could possibly make, then he decides to come home. And what's the father's response? Is he sitting there on the porch tapping? No, he runs out and puts a hug on his shoulders. That is God, your father, who's eager to meet with you, regardless of what you're caught up in right now. So if you don't approach God as your father, you're never going to get prayer. He's your father who delights to be with you. The second statement though is important also. He's our father who's in heaven, which means that he is different than us. He's not just another man. He's not just a bro. I love the idea and the, the, the language of Jesus as our friend, but Jesus is our friend and he is also the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Like right now he is reigning and ruling in heaven. Like that is, that is who he is. He is awesome and he is mighty and he is powerful. And so we come to him in faith with expectation that he can do things because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we have this respect. We have this awe. We have this captivation for who he is. We have this reverence that is seated in our hearts as we approach him in prayer. I stumbled upon this verse this week in Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. And I'm saying, I'm sorry for saying stumbled upon. I don't actually talk like that. It just is how it came out of my mouth in that moment. So (laughs) Hebrews chapter five says in the days of his flesh, Jesus. So in in the time when Jesus was walking on this earth, shouldn't we care about how he prayed? 
because it was a distinct moment when Jesus actually came out of heaven to put on flesh to be with us, to model things to us. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And pay attention to this verse right here. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because of his reverence. Jesus recognized that God was father. You see this? Although he was a son, Jesus knew that God was his father and he also revered him. He respected him. He had a fear. He had an understanding of who God is and what he does. Although Jesus was his son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So right away, when we start the Lord's Prayer, we see that the blueprint is to recognize God's character for who he really is. He's our father and he's in heaven. And then it says to hallow his name, hallowed be thy name. I've always found it redundant to make your own definition for something when Tim Keller's already said it better. And so Tim Keller explains this next verse like this. He says to hallow God's name, to say hallowed be thy name and to really mean it. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God. And even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. I mean, just think about that. Is that true for your prayer life? Do you have pockets of prayer in your life where you have sustained time, open-ended amounts of time, where you just adore and recognize his beauty and his wondrous nature? That's part of the Lord's prayer's like blueprint for us to approach him as, as God and as father, but then also to hallow his name, to have, this, to have this adoration or this sense of wonderment towards him. He says, we know God is there, but we tend to, and this is, this is gonna probably convict all of us because we all do this. We tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. What Keller's alluding to here is he's saying most of us just have this laundry list of things that we want God to do for us rather than us just delighting in whatever circumstances we find our life in, just enjoying and adoring and adoring him and making him our happiness. God, I have you. What else could I want? God, I have, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. There is nothing else that could satisfy me. You are my deepest delight. That is what it looks like to hallow God's name in your heart is to just spend time revering and adoring who he is. Hallowed be your name. The next few phrases are your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So notice the, the, the framework here. We're not yet talking about all the things that we need God to do for us. There is a spot in the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread where we do ask God for our, our requests and we ask for provision. But before we do that, we say, God, is there anything that you want to do before I tell you my requests? God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there anything that you want to do, God, that before I ask you the things that I think I need, what is it that you're doing in the world around me? So a really simple way to think about God, your kingdom come, your will be done is to take a second and to just picture what heaven will be like one day. I mean, all of us have uh, hopefully some biblically based sense of what heaven's going to be like one day. There's going to be no more, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. People aren't going to be homeless. People aren't going to be hungry. I mean, heaven's just going to be filled with everything that's awesome. And there's going to be nothing bad going on there, I think is how we could say it for you kids in the room, right? It's just going to be amazing. 
And so to go, God, okay, that's your kingdom being executed perfectly. That's your kingdom, what it looks like in perfection. And I've tasted a bit of that kingdom now, but I'm living in a world that's not yet there fully. Amen? And so with our eyes, then we can begin to just look around in the world that we see and we can see things that are out of alignment with how they're going to be in heaven. You can see kids who are going to bed, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. You can see uh, families that are broken and marriages that are being ripped apart. Um, like kids that are just, that are, that don't really know why they belong, what they're doing, who they are. You can see these identity things. You can see it in your coworkers that just uh, like the unrelenting drive for just more and more and never satisfied, never content with anything. And you can see those things and then you can go, God, how might I participate in bringing heaven to this situation, in making your will being done on earth as it's happening right now? See, because if you, if you see a problem in the world that we're living in, and, and I mean, there are a dime a dozen right now, I hope, right? Am I alone in this where you're just like, oh, that's, that's a problem right there, you know? It's just pretty easy to see. If you see a problem, and if you are compelled enough to pray for that problem, here's what I t- want to take it to the next step. That means that you're probably, God is probably trying to involve you in solving that problem. I'm all for praying for things to get fixed and for things to get reconciled and for things to be made beautiful that are broken right now. But I think it's the church's right and responsibility and first duty to step into those places, to bring the redemption, to bring the beauty, to bring the, the, the beautiful thing out of the ashes with God. We don't just pray for things to get better out there. We step into the messy places and we bring the beautiful things with us. Does that make sense? So as we're praying this part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. What we're asking is a boldness in us to go, God, where would you send me? And listen, that's going to take a certain level of interruptibility and discomfort from us to do that. All that money that you maybe just saved up, God might ask for you to use that to help a situation. That time that is so valuable and coveted in our culture because we're so busy, the calendar's so packed, everything's always strapped. I like, I don't even feel like I have a moment to spend talking to somebody sometimes at the grocery store because first of all, like I'm, you know, I'm currently serving a grounding at the grocery store by myself. Any other men know what this is like? Like I'm just not allowed to go grocery shopping by myself because I never come home with anything that resembles the list. It's my own fault. It's self-inflicted. I've done it to myself. But now when I'm in the grocery store, I'm like, listen, I just got to cruise through here, get my list and get out. So my wife lets me come back here again by myself someday. You know what I mean? Well, I'm not saying anything about her. This is all a reflection on me, okay? It just feels good to confess that all to you. But man, sometimes I'm just blitzing through places or going through places. And I like, you know, there are times when in the morning, I'm like, God, would you just, hey, here I am, Lord, use me. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then I go cruising throughout my day and somebody actually might initiate a conversation with me and my response can be, yeah, 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 I'm busy. I don't say those words exactly, neither do you, but my, my, my emotions all indicate it. I'm not really entertaining this conversation. I'm not spending any time here. But what if my prayer from that morning is being fulfilled in that moment to go, oh my gosh, this guy is trying to talk to me about something and I have the chance to bring the kingdom of God down and bring it to this guy right now. Like, are we interruptible enough? Are we bold enough? Are we willing enough to get uncomfortable to actually be used by God to do different things so that we wouldn't just pray for his kingdom to come, but we would be bringers of the kingdom ourselves? 
God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and I think some of the significance of what this would have meant in that day is lost on us because we have things like refrigerators and pantries at this point. Like I bought my be- bread in a bag at Walmart this last week. You know what I'm saying? Um, I didn't have to make it. We didn't have to like rely on it to come daily. There's not this like daily urgency. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm against 401ks or refrigerators or pantries. I think those things are generally good ideas. But I am saying we've lost a sense of how much God has provided for us daily. And we're, easy, we're so much more easy to get discontent in the day and age that we're living in because we see how big other people's stuff is or how much other people have. And so we get discontent and we neglect the fact that God has already poured out so much for us daily in his provision for us. And, and part of what we do in this part of the prayer is after we've recognized his character, we've hallowed his name, we've just appreciated him, delighted in him, we've got, gone, God, would you just use me for whatever it is that you're doing on earth right now? I want to be a part of it. I want to serve you. I want to be, I want to be with you, God. And now we get to this part where we go, and God, I'm really struggling with some things. I need you to show up in this moment. God, I'm asking that you would break through in this moment. I'm not saying for a second that we don't have any category to to lay down petitions and real prayer requests of things that we are needing or that are dire or are urgent in our life. I'm just saying, I think there's a good blueprint and an order in which it flows. That before we get to that, spend some time on the other areas. But man, yeah, God gives us permission. Like give us this day our daily bread. Make requests for the provisions that you need in your life. God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So ask and seek and knock and keep asking and keep searching and you will find. These are the scriptures that Jesus is telling us. He's like, man, keep on knocking on your friend's door until he answers. This is the Jesus that we're approaching in prayer. We can make our requests known to God. So give us this day our daily bread. And then it ends like this. It says, and forgive us as we have been forgiven and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us as we have been forgiven shows us that if we want to work on different things that we're trying to be more like Christ in, the best way and the best priority for us to work on these things is to spend time with God himself so that we might actually look like him in the world we're living in. So when he says, forgive us, as we have been forgiven, what Jesus is showing us is that if you want to be someone who's good at forgiving people, some of you are just wrestling so hard right now with unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody. And I think you probably want to break free from it. You want to, you want to let it go and you just can't. And, and I'm just, I'm here to say like, you can read all these books on how to forgive people. You can, you can make a whole list of different things that they've done well. You can do all the different strategies you want in the natural to forgive somebody. But the best way to, to, to fix unforgiveness in your heart is to spend time receiving forgiveness from Christ and to just dwell on and to think on and to be reminded of all the things that God has consistently forgiven you for. And as you spend time just soaking in the forgiveness that you've received from God, then and only then will you be empowered to then forgive the other people around you. I mean, same thing, whatever God was doing to you in this last few weeks, if you fasted, if you didn't, I don't, it doesn't really bother me either way. I'm saying, chances are you're endeavoring to do something in this time. Maybe you want to be a more loving person. You just realize I just don't have this great capacity or well of empathy to draw on. I'm not as loving. I'm not as tender. I'm not as kind as I should be. Listen, the way that you're going to get to be more of that is by spending time with him. 
and recognizing how loving he is towards you, spending time in his word, spending time just digesting and soaking in how kind he's been to you. And when you've spent time there, you're going to be so much more ready to be kind to the world around you because your kindness isn't going to be this like, oh man, I just really need to be kind to these people, but they're so lame, right? And then you read this book and you're like, man, I'm so lame and God's been so kind to me. And now, now I can actually go be kind to the world I'm living in. Man, you want to work on patience? Read some of the Old Testament and watch how patient God has been with the nation of Israel. And then draw the conclusion that you're the nation of Israel, church. That's us. God is still being patient towards us. You read it and you're just like, oh my gosh, Israel, they just can't get it figured out. They just keep making mistakes. God's being so patient to them. I can't believe he's still putting up with these people. And then you're like, wait a sec, that's me. God's been so patient with me. And as soon as I, as soon as I get that and I spend time sitting there, that's what the fruit of the spirit's all about. That's what this abiding relationship is all about. If you try and just manufacture obedience on your own, if you try and just manufacture joy on your own, if you try and just manufacture um, patience on your own, it's like you taking a piece of fruit and stapling it to a tree and hoping it'll grow. No, but what you need to do is you need to tether yourself to the source of life. You need to come back to Christ and spend time ruminating on and sitting in and, and dreaming about his character and letting that get into you. And as it gets into you, it can't help but come out of you to the people you're interacting with and the world that you're living in. That's what we're doing. And then this very last line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer that we're asking at the very end here of the Lord's Prayer is that God wouldn't just uh, keep us out of sticky situations or that he would just kind of steer my whole life away from uh, temptations, right? But that I would actually have a power that can overcome them within me. So I'll kind of explain it this way. Like, Katie and I have been married 11 years now and we are like very happily married. It's an awesome, I mean, right? Yeah, great. You feel the same way. <laughs> awesome season of our marriage. Um, I don't, I don't like pray that God would just remove all women from my life and that he would make me not like women ever. Do you get that? Like, cause that would mean like all of you, like a lot of y'all would have to disappear, <laughs> you know? No, but what I, what I do is I, I just continually delight in her. I don't spend all this time focusing on these things that I can't do or these rules that I have to try and follow outside. No, like, but man, as I have spent 11 years fostering this relationship with her where I just love and delight in her, like, there aren't temptations that really tempt me anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? So when you're praying to God and you're saying, God, this thing is just really, like I keep giving myself over to it, deliver me from this temptation that I keep giving myself to. What you need to be looking for is that pocket of your heart where you haven't made God your deepest pleasure. Like you're, you're falling in love with or giving yourself to something else that's cheaper than, less than he is. Like until you've tasted and seen that he is good and there's nothing else that can satisfy you, you're going to keep giving yourself over to things that are, that are less satisfying, that overpromise and underdeliver. They promise to feel good in the moment. They promise to be good. They promise to save you from something. And they always leave you feeling ashamed, feeling hopeless, feeling worried, feeling anxious. And God's the only one who we can come to and we can go, man, no, God, leave me not in temptation, but deliver me from evil by making you, God, my deepest delight, my deepest treasure. I'm not saying you're going to do that and all of a sudden you're not going to sin anymore. I'm just saying if you're trying to focus so hard on the sin and the behavior that you want to change, 
you have it backwards. You need to focus on him. Focus on how good he's been. Focus on how much you love and delight in him. And as you do that, everything else is going to become less appealing to you because he is so much better than. He's so much beyond. He's so much more. He's so much greater than anything else we could put our hope and our trust in. And so that's the final line, the final closing of the Lord's Prayer. God, don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And the way you're going to do that is by continuing to delight in him. So as we approach prayer, we, have, we can recognize that this is a good template and a good blueprint that Jesus has given us. It's not this phrasing specifically that just unlocks something. But there's a pattern here to recognize God's character, to just spend time adoring him and appreciating him. And then to come to the spot where we say, God, what do you want to do? And then we go, God, and I would really like if you could do this for me. And then we move through and we go, and God, help me be like you to the world around me and help me not give myself away so easily to the things of this world, but help me continue to keep my focus on you. Right? Amen, church? We're going to come in and we're going to do communion now to close this service. And uh, well, before we do baptisms, but as you, uh, as you come to the communion table, I think parents, I just want to speak to you really intentionally for a moment. I think this is a great intentional conversation that you can have with your kids. And, and you, could, you could tell them what communion's about, or you can maybe take a second for, for you to explain why you do communion personally. So I'm not so concerned with you like technically explaining what it is and what it means correctly, but I would love if in a moment here you could explain, hey, this is why your dad takes communion. I'm just so grateful that Jesus has broken his body and spilled his blood for me. And I love being reminded of that sacrifice because it empowers me and it sustains me for right now, right? And so I, look, I, I think the communion table, I think it's a, it's a sacrament. It's a holy place to come to this table. And so we need to be, we need to know what Christ has done for us to come up here and to do this and to participate in this. But parents, I'm just saying, don't miss the opportunity you have right now to have a really good conversation with your kids. Maybe you're here today and you've never taken communion because you don't know where you stand with the Lord. I actually think communion is a beautiful altar call, a beautiful moment for you to just recognize, no, Jesus, I need you. And if you just confess in a moment that God, I'm desperate for you and I need you. I need your sacrifice for me. I need the new life that's found in you and I surrender myself to you. Like the communion table is a beautiful way for you to walk in that for the very first time. So confess and believe and come and turn from whatever it is that you have going on in your life. It's an invitation for you to encounter and to experience him today. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to do communion together. You can come up as soon as your heart is ready. There's there's stuff down here in the back, uh, in the balcony, all over. So Jesus, we just ask that you would um, flood this moment. God, I pray this moment would be so about you. I pray that as we're sitting there and, and we take the elements in our hands, God, would we, would we even just kind of walk through some of those steps we just talked about that we've seen in the Lord's Prayer? God, I pray that you would just continue to stir our hearts for adoration and affection, that we would continue to long for you and we continue to strive to be more with you, God. God, you're so good and you're so kind and we're reminded of your sacrifice and your grace and your love for us here. Help us approach you as both a loving father and a holy God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey church, come and commune as your heart is ready.